I'd like to welcome those who are watching on the live stream. Uh, it is good to be with you tonight. It is Valentine's Day, so that's a slight excuse why you're home. But um, good evening, everybody. It's good to see you tonight. I, I, uh, I, I was welcoming the live stream, and sometimes I just have to go for it, regardless of what the room is doing, because I want to welcome them because we go live and it's on. So uh, some are at home because it's Valentine's Day or Ash, or was it Ashentine's Day? It's Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day together. Does that ever fall in the same time frame? I don't know. But, but uh, what a fun, fun evening. We've got pizza in the back. If you haven't had pizza, so there's dinner back there, go grab a piece of pizza or two or five or 12. Um, there are some really amazing looking. Now, I have to save all my snacks for after. Because normally when I'm t <laughs> normally I would get to sit and eat, but so I pick out what I want, put it on the table with my wife, and she holds on to it for me. Then when I go home and I'm done, I can eat my snacks. And there's some kind of a chocolate peanut butter or something over there. Yeah, they're terrible. Don't touch them. Just leave them. Yeah. So <laughs> um, anyway, it's good to see you guys tonight. It's always wonderful to be. Is it me or my car? Every plant in my yard was coated with a thick coat of pollen. Is it oaks or something? Yeah. But that, so if I sound that way, it's my allergies have been through the roof, but um, pine something, I don't know, I've got pine and oak, so, so crazy. So it's good to see Lou tonight. Hello, Lou. <laughs> I need paying attention. Um, that's okay, just, just saying hello. Well, a couple of, uh, a couple of quick announcements. I, I do want to always uh, reiterate, we have the, uh, our time of prayer on Thursday mornings at 9 o'clock out at the uh, new facility, the new building. Um, we had a wonderful work day this last weekend, and uh, I think it was last weekend. But, but all, the, I don't know, Marie, where do you pray? Because all the patio tables are clean now. They've been power washed. And so, oh, they're beautiful too. Yes. Okay. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. So the, the tables were power washed, but they're probably now full of a layer of oak pollen underneath those oak trees. Beautiful live oaks on that property. Stable palms. I mean, it's, it's a vintage Florida, classic native Florida landscape. It's gorgeous. Um, uh, announcements. Any other announcements? Am I missing anything, Deb, announcement-wise? No, after church, uh, I don't know how often we're going to do this up until uh, while we have the, when we actually finally enter the, the facility, we'll probably continue, but maybe let's just say once a month, we got rained out this last time, but after church, if you'd like, uh, go to the new building and you're welcome to throw a blanket down and bring a lunch. And if you forget a lunch, swing by Publix or Wendy's and just come out to the property after church and uh, there's just for a time of, you know, celebration, you know, lunch, and some people bring frisbees and bocce balls or whatever, football, whatever. Um, but anyway, I just want to make that, that's one of the other announcements. So, um, well, let's go ahead and open up with prayer tonight, okay? Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for uh, the beauty of your trees and your creation, Father, even though uh, there are some things that go along with that that can make us sneeze. Uh, Lord, we just are so grateful for the general revelation that you've given to us in, in your creation. And Lord, the special revelation you've given us in your word, Lord. And uh, for those things, we are grateful because they show that, uh, that you are who you are and you do exist, Lord. And, and we're grateful for that, Lord. Be with us tonight as we 
open your word that you will uh, allow, Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit um, illuminates this text for us so that we can not only learn from it, but apply it to our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I'd love to go through, as usual, just a brief review of last week. I know there's a couple people that weren't here last week, and so I, um, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I do just want to cover our three basic things we went through last week. It was a challenging uh, teaching, and, and uh, you know, as I mulled over it a little bit more, I, I continue to agree uh, in, in that particular interpretation. There are other interpretations, and I have learned that, I have learned, but I, I know that there are people that believe other things about that that are, will be joining us in heaven. And they're all believers, and this is one of those issues that's just, it's, it's hard to understand, but I believe uh, in light of all of Scripture, I believe it points to uh, the direction that we chose last week. So firstly, we talked about apostates. Scary word. Those who, and, and the modern interpretation of that word would be a deconstructionist, uh, a deconversionist. That's, that's the slang terms these days are using. Um, but apostates are those who have the knowledge of Christ. They understand about Christ. They have even participated in things of the church. They have experienced the working of the Holy Spirit in some way or another, and yet they reject all of those and have fallen away. Uh, that's one thing that we talked about. Based on what Scripture says about the true believer, a true believer cannot lose their salvation. That is abundantly clear in eternal security passages. So that's kind of where we stood on that. Uh, the second point was very interesting. In fact, if you want to take a look real quick, it's in chapter 6, verse 7. Uh, 6, verse 7. And there's sort of just a description of rain falling on two types of soil and what the soils bear. And so if you, you can look at that, but I'll just talk about it. There's a clear doctrine in there of those who reject the general and special revelation of God uh, as it's presented, which is the knowledge of God and the truth of the Scripture, and there are those who receive it. And that uh, there's a reference, a cross-reference, I'll just read for you, um, in, first, in, in the book of John, uh, it says, it says, he came to his own, bless you, and his own people did not receive him. And that's Christ, <laughs> Christ literally was on the earth and they didn't receive him. And then it, it goes on to say, uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Uh, so that's a very uh, amazing passage right there, which sort of ties in with, with what we just uh, read here, uh, because uh, there is a revelation that occurs. It occurred when Christ was on the earth, and people rejected, and yet some received. And then that to this day, here it just talks about the, the rain falling, and the rain is the truth of Scripture and the truth of the understanding of, of the gospel. And the rain falls, and some reject, and some receive. And, and the group of, of believers here that, were, that, that the writer's addressing, uh, this was that little side note, remember. He said, but you're not one of those, you know, referring to the, the apostates, you're not one of those. I believe more of you. You're the ones that do receive and that are on, doing good things. And so that's the second point of last week. Um, and, and which brings me to the third point. The author basically is saying to the believers, I have confidence in you that you are of group B, the second group, the ones that do receive. And he encourages them to press on, to endure 
with zeal and patience. So be, before we get into the text here, and this text tonight is just, it's a wonderful text. It's, it's, it's encouraging. There's some, we talked about last week, the eternal security and then the assurance of salvation. And this text that we're talking about tonight really presses down onto the assurance of salvation and gives us that, that understanding that we can trust and believe in. But there was a story of a, uh, a sailor, and the sailor was working his way down through the Caribbean, Caribbean, however you'd like to say that, um, in a sailboat, fully rigged, all electronics, and he uh, found that there was going to be an approaching storm, uh, a, a class two hurricane, which is pretty severe being on the water. He couldn't quite make it to um, any larger islands. He was down in, in, in a small chain of islands, and uh, so he chose to do the best he could, and he took his sailboat, 30-foot sailboat, and he, he moored it kind of off near an island and using all the knowledge he had, basically trying to figure out where the prevailing winds would come from mostly and tried to get on the lee, what's called the leeward side of the island, uh, which is, can work to some advantage, uh, opposed to the windward side. And the storm began churning and coming in, and so he found the, the, his positioning. He dropped his trusty anchor, and he, he hunkered down for the evening and, and uh, went, under, went below decks and battened down the hatches and began to feel the storm. And it, it occurred just before it was getting dark, and so nightfall was occurring. And so this, yeah, of course, yeah, like any bad movie, right? And so just the, the waves began to pick up. And there was a concern because he was on the edge in the, in the Caribbean. There's a, there's a shallower areas. And then if you get off that, you're, you're done. You're toast. You're, you're out in, in, the, in the currents. And then you're battered. So, he's, so as the storm began to rage outside, the boat was just being tossed about and tossed about. And, and, and it was dark. And he tried to come up at one point and had no bearing. There was nothing he could see at all. It was just, just except for just sheer gale force winds and, and the current was ripping and the, it was the downpour and the waves were crashing. And he made it through the night. He, he came above decks and was shocked and surprised that he was in exactly the same location. The anchor held. The anchor held against the current the anchor held against the wind, the anchor held against uh, all of everything. Uh, it was, he was in the same exact position. It was that trusted anchor. His electronics, he had, he had $10,000 worth of electronics. They were of no help during that storm. All of his Chapman books of seamanship on the shelves that had fallen were of no help. None of his friends that he could radio up were of any help. Nothing that he knew or could do were of any help, but the anchor never failed. So as we kind of come into this story tonight, sorry, not story, as we come out of the story and come into the passage, uh, it leads us right into the title of this passage or this, this teaching tonight it is Our Sure and Steadfast Anchor. Our Sure and Steadfast Anchor. That would be the title of this teaching tonight. It's a wonderful text, 
And as we get into this text, we'll find that there are three assurances that we have that God is our steady and sure anchor, okay? So there's three things we're going to see. If you want to write these down, we'll come into these as we navigate the text. Uh, the first being God's oath, which sounds a little strange. It's weird, but God's oath. Second one that we'll look at tonight is God's character. God's character. And the third assurance we had, the first one would be God's oath. Yep, O-A-T-H. Yep, absolutely, God's oath. We're going to see that tonight, the second one being God's character. And the third one would simply be Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest. So God's oath, God's character, and Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And so obviously the, 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 the title comes from the end of the passage. It's one, it's one of the most beautiful passages. It's, it's one of the most visual uh, examples of what God is to us. And so the reason I told that story is because you can picture that no matter what we do in life, however together we think we have it, and however many devotional books we might have read, or how much we think when the storms come and batter us in the ways that they always do, there's something that's just outside of us that needs to be connected, and we need to have that steadfast anchor. When, when the trials of life come, we need to be connected to something other than everything that is movable. And there's nothing that is immovable like God, period. And so we're going to talk a little bit about tonight about his character, and it leads up to that, that steadfast anchor. And we're going to see some things tonight that, that point to, by, the writer of Hebrews is amazing. He was actually a very strong exegetical teacher. He, he, he exegeted or he, he uh, exposited Old Testament scripture. He, he took Old Testament scriptures and brought everything forward and was using it to make the case with these, uh, these Hebrews about why Christ is better, why you should hold fast, why you should stay strong. And here in this text, he's, he goes back to one of those examples. But let's pick up it up in the, in the, in the Scripture here. Let's, let's go to verse uh, 11. Let's start there a little bit where we, sort of a little bit where we left off, or we, we actually kind of covered last week. So verse 11 in chapter 6. Here's the author saying, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope, now, there's that word assurance, okay? Assurance of hope until the end. In other words, the assurance that, that of salvific hope, of the hope of Christ, the hope of eternity uh, until the very end. In other words, push through to the end so that you may not be sluggish. In other words, there's that word again, sluggish, which involves, which, which implies a, a movement of some direction. Don't be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There's two words there, well, three actually, but, they, but he's, he's, he's imploring this group of believers to be like those who came before you. And when we get into chapter 12, I think it is, or maybe 11, on, on the, the great hall of faith, 
he's referring back to those who have all through the old, the, the people in this that he's writing to know the Old Testament well. They know all, they could probably quote it. They know so much of the, of, of the great stories and narratives. And so he's referring them back to these, be like those people that have had faith and that remain firm till the end. And he says, and do it with patience, through faith and patience, those two things. And so that's going to tie into the next text that we're reading tonight uh, uh, to inherit the promises, basically the promises of God, okay? So this leads us directly into verse 13. So it says, let's see. Okay, so it says, for, in other words, because, so as this is just a continued train of thought here from, from 11, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises because, we could add that in there instead of four, when God made a promise to Abraham, now he's taking it back to a, something they know, okay? And, and he's taking it back to something we know as well. If you've read the Old Testament and studied, you know the character and what God's done from that. So since he, so it says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, promise being the Abrahamic covenant. Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Now let's kind of pause right there. What does that sound? It's kind of weird in a way. But in, in those times, the Israelites, the, the Jews, an oath was the greatest covenant you could make with someone. It was the end all. If you made an oath, it was a lifelong thing. It was, it, there was so much weight and importance to an oath. That, so understanding that these Jews that he's writing to here knew what an oath meant and how critically important of a nature that was. It was, it was, it was a binding document or a binding agreement that was beyond all. And so typically you'd have to have someone higher than you to commit that to. So in other words, when you go to the to the court system and you put your hand on the Bible and you swear on the Bible or you swear uh, to whatever. It's, it's something that's other, that's higher than you. It's beyond you because you can't, if you just make, say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that for you. There needs to be more of a collateral with it. And, and so there was something that was outside of the person that was making the deal of that oath that would make something even more great, more great in a way. So anyway, so, so God's basically saying here, saying that, uh, he swore by himself because simply there, the reason is there was nothing higher than God. So he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus, and that's, 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 well, that, let me, let me just slow down for a second and back up. I, I, I have a sense of getting carried away sometimes. I get too excited about a passage and this is one that's a little tricky. So God made an oath. One, he says it right there that he he kind of made an oath. It says, "Surely I will bless you and multiply you." That was his promise to Abraham that he would his his generations would continue on. And let me just refer back to that real quick. You know, well, actually, let's turn there. We haven't turned in a while. Let's go to Genesis. Let's do this. Turn to Genesis, if you will, chapter twenty-two. Genesis twenty-two. And you can just put a little thing in Hebrews there and you go to Genesis 22. It's in the beginning. You've got to go to the very beginning, first couple pages. 12. Why are we at 12? Well, well I'm, I know. <laughs> Teasing. Okay, so we're going to 12. 
No, 22. 22, sorry. Now look at 22. No, don't, don't go to 12. 22, verse 1. We'll start in verse 1. We're going to read a couple sentences there. After these things, God tested Abraham. This is verse 1. And said to him, and he said, and Abraham, excuse me, said to him, Abraham, he said, Abraham said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now look over that chapter, same chapter, 22, but verse 16. And this is God speaking. He says, he said, by myself, I have sworn. There's an oath that he's referring to. The writer of Hebrews is referring to that oath, a sworn oath, declares the Lord. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. He's already given the promise prior to this. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall be all the nations of the earth blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. But in, in, in verse 16 there at the beginning, there's that oath that, 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 that God made. Now why would there be an oath? He's already made a promise. He had already made a promise many times prior in Scripture. But yet he comes and, and, and makes a stronger, firmer promise by making an oath, which is a big deal in those times. And so as we look at this, let's continue on in our text in, in back to uh, Hebrews. We'll pick it up in verse 14. God says, surely I will bless and multiply. He's referring back to that passage. Verse 15, and thus Abraham having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now, let's just kind of pause right there. And then, well, actually, let's look at 16. I have, an, I have, I have 16 in, in uh, quotes or parentheses. And this is the author sort of explaining what this means about the oath. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is the final for confirmation. So prior to this, God had already given Abraham a promise. And, and what the writer in, in this book is doing is he's, he's kind of doubling down and saying, hold fast. He said that in just the verses above, hold fast to the promise because God keeps his promises. So he's, he's giving that reassurance to the people that God will, and remember the people in this time were going through trial being persecuted, some were slipping away back to the easier things, things that were possibly more simple, easier so they wouldn't be under persecution. And, and, and the writer's saying, hold fast, because God's promises always stand. And, and, and in addition to that, what God did, so that's the first one is God's, well, God's character is the second one we had, but above that in the order is God's oath. Why did God do that? And the, the beauty of that is the, the loving nature of God knowing that a promise 
could be doubted. We have all we have all doubted. We've all looked at scriptures and gone, oh, I don't know. Does it really this? Does it really? And and you kind of wonder sometimes. We talked about that last week. But then God kind of doubles down, knowing our human nature, and gives an oath, knowing that mankind is a little, you know, sometimes can can not quite believe something. And so he has made a promise to Abraham. Then he comes back at that and, and makes an oath with Abraham. And the oath is, and there's no one hired that could be a part of that oath. God himself made the oath. And so there's a sort of a, a double, um, what's the word, like a double lock in a way. So the promise was made. And then after, uh, after he took his son Isaac to the mountain and was going to sacrifice him, then an oath was made at that point. And that oath was really solidified that. And so when the writer, when these Hebrews are, are tempted to drift or tempted to question whether God's promises stand, the writer's going, God makes promises. His character is flawless. There was no one greater or higher that can make these promises. Believe that. And if you don't quite believe that, look back what God did in this passage where he actually doubled down and made an oath to Abraham, which is even more reassuring. And the, and the, and the Hebrews would have understood this. And so he's just making a case. So today, do you, do you know that God's promises are true? I mean, and that God has made a, an oath that is even more true and made it more solid and secure. And so it just gives you a glimpse into to God's nature, that he knows how fragile we are and how, how our minds can wander. And yet he gives a promise and then he doubles down on it with an oath. And that's a very interesting thing. Well, I don't, I've not seen that anywhere else in, this, in, in the text, but it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. So the writer's describing about the oath, and as we come into verse 17, let's read that. So when God desired, and this is what it's talking about, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. There you go. That's it. I knew we'd get there. I think I got ahead of myself a little bit. And so what's, what's God doing there? He is more convincingly showing. He's, he's knowing our character and, and doubling down and, and, and really saying, I really want you to understand that my promises stand. So he's more convincingly showing the heirs of the promise, which, is, which were the Jews, which is us now. He's, he's, so we can take this as, as in, in the modern day here. The, and I love this part right here. There's a word called immutability. And about four years ago, I didn't know what it meant. But immutabil immutability, I thought it had something to do with speech or whatever. Immutability means nothing can be changed. If uh, uh, something is immutable, it is unchangeable. And so that's often a word you see, but here it does say unchangeable character. And so, again, verse 17, let me just repeat it for you. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. In other words, God had a plan from the beginning for Abraham. Abraham might have wondered. You know, I, I would imagine that after the, after the promise was given initially, that, that Abraham's uh, offspring would be like the sands of the, you know, and, and they, were, they were older, and they, and they had this child. And, and as, as Abraham's going up the mountain, knowing what he's going to go do to make the sacrifice, 
he had to be wondering, how in the world is this promise going to stand? This is, I just have you questioning that. And so God's character and his promises never change. And because of what occurred there, he doubled down. He gave a more convincing oath. And, and the writer here is just simply imploring and, and, and telling and reminding the Hebrews that of this thing that God doesn't change. His plans don't change. He is immutable, and he's done two things at this point. He's given a promise and an oath, so you should really take that into consideration. And so that's something that, that uh, is interesting about this passage because I, I, I didn't understand this prior to, to this particular study about the oath, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, but, but, but the purpose of the oath was for us, for a more convincing argument, I guess you would say. So guaranteed it by an oath. So let's, let's look at 18 real quick here. Not real quick. Just, actually, man, I'm just cranking through this. Anybody want to sing a song or anything? I'm going too fast. Sorry. Okay. This is exciting, and I'm probably going fast. What's that? I did. I kept eating mints today, you know, but I don't know what that was all about. It's like buzzing from mints. Okay. So um, verse 18, uh, and this is a continuation of 17. So that by two unchangeable things, those unchangeable things really are the two things that he, the promises he gave and the oath. It says, in which it is impossible for God to lie. In other words, God is, it's almost a third thing there. God is so trustworthy, we know he's not going to lie because he gave a promise and he gave an oath. And a lot of this stuff is really, well, these people really understood this. It was their culture, the culture of promises and oath. And if you put yourself in the place of them, of the Israelites for thousands of years. And so, but it says, so by that, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge. We who have fled for refuge might have in strong encouragement. Let's just kind of pause right there. Let me just pause. We who have fled for refuge. That's an interesting uh, uh, little section there. And I looked it up and part of the Greek of that is in the words that are, that are there are that people that fled to, it was a city, the refuge city, that where people were falsely accused of murder or doing something wrong, fled to this city. They were innocent and they fled to a city that was a, a harbor, so to speak, a refuge where they wouldn't be touched. And so it's a very interesting, I'm not quite sure what the, what the author here is saying other than, it said, but it says, we who have fled for refuge, meaning potentially refuge from Levitical law, or it could mean something along the lines of finding refuge among the persecution by being in a church where there's safety in numbers, perhaps. But it, but it does say, uh, and maybe your notes say something different, but it was just something that wasn't really addressed too much in, in anything I looked at. But it says, we who have fled, but the idea being those who are innocent that have fled to an area that is safe. And so, so we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement or have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Pause right there, full stop. So 
I love the fact that it's not just encouragement. It's a strong encouragement. So that the promise was certainly an encouragement, but the promise aligned with an oath is a strong encouragement for those who are seeking refuge in Christ. So great, great uh, hope. And what is this hope set before us? The hope set before us is simply our salvation and our eternal salvation, because salvation not only, remember, is not just what we, are, what we have on earth here. Our salvation, that is something we look forward to eternally. We're saved eternally. And so the hope set before us is simply what we know of what Christ did for us and that he's our great high priest. And so that hope set before us speaks of an eternal salvation as well as a temporal salvation in this world. So let's kind of continue on here. And when this, is, this, this is all building and leading us into this uh, verse 19, which is such an incredible uh, verse here. It says, we, we as believers, this is us we're talking about again here. We have this, all the above that we just talked about. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul and a hope. Now, here's where we start getting into the third thing and a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So what that's referring to there, I'd like to direct you back up to, well, now let's continue reading through here. So we have, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Now, that's sort of the reference I talked about prior. When it talks about a sure and steadfast anchor, uh, the story I gave was that sort of an analogy, a parallel to having that sure anchor. Because if the anchor would have pulled or it might have been a, a, a different anchor or uh, something else, or maybe he tied off to a piling or whatever, that's not going to hold. That's not sure. It's not steadfast. And so that steadfast anchor needs to be something other than us. And that's obviously in this passage, it's the hope we have of salvation the hope we have in God, the hope we have in His promises, the hope we had in His hope, in His oath. So as we continue, let's, let's continue on here. Um, we have the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And we know that what our reference is to that. We talked about this, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, let's come back up a little bit to it says uh, the inner place behind the curtain. Remember the reference to where the priest had gone and where now Christ has gone. One was a shadow, uh, so to speak. One was a, uh, the priest could go into a general courtyard area. He could move into the secondary area where no one else could go and then the Holy of Holies, which was the third area behind the veil, the curtain, right? And so that's what that's referring to. If you look up at back, just take a left and look at 414, chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Since then, we have a great high priest, 414. Since then, we have a great high priest, he's, he's kind of referring back to this, who has passed through the heavens. And what that means is that he is... I don't have my notes with me, but but Christ went from, if I can remember this, He went from the earthly heavens into the celestial heavens into 
by the into the uh, the holy of holies, basically, which is seated next to seated uh, at the throne next to God. So so he's gone through the three levels. So when that what that's referring to back here in verse twenty, verse nineteen, talking about the inner place uh, behind the curtain where Jesus has already gone. He's the forerunner. I love that word. He's, the, he's one that has gone before us. Uh, and there's so much uh, talk in, the, in, in Hebrews about this directional movement. It's towards eternity. It's towards our final destination. And Christ has gone before us to set the stage, to become our great high priest, our intercessor, our, uh, the one who is there for us. And on our behalf, and then here's where it sort of just begins to come back around into what the, what, what, the, uh, what the author was starting with. Because remember he talked about, if you look up at 510, should be just a page back or maybe you can just look at it. 510 says, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And remember, he started talking about these weightier things, more, a little bit heavier, and then he, remember, he paused, and he goes, but, but hold on, you guys are still drinking milk. Here, I want you, and they affirm them into growing into maturity. Well, as he walks through this passage, talking about apostasy and that you're not one of those, and then he encourages you with a stronger promise of God's promises, God's oath, and Jesus Christ being our great high priest, then he begins to return back into talking about the weightier things, Melchizedek. He started it, he took a sidetrack, he wanted to affirm them, to encourage them, to admonish them a little bit, and then he comes back into talking about, and he's going to launch into why Jesus is the greatest high priest in the order of Melchizedek, which is something beyond the Aaronic, A-A-R-O-N, priesthood, and we're going to get into much of that next week. Uh, but that's sort of, you can see the flow, and one of the things about Bible study is that it's important to understand where, where the passage goes. If you, if you would consider this book, I know we're taking our time with this, and we're, it's been three weeks on chapter 6, but most of the readers of Hebrews, this letter, or Corinthians, or Galatians, would sit down and read it in about 20 minutes, and, and then mull it over, and then read it again. Like, so in other words, we break things up quite a bit because we want to study but it's important to understand the whole flow of this book and to keep reminding ourselves what the book is written for and to and why it's being written and, and, and you know, with keeping in mind that it is, uh, uh, the, the author's making a case, he's, he's encouraging, he's admonishing, and so, but he's always, it's all pointing towards Christ and the gospel being better than anything that they're being drawn back to, either because of persecution. And I know a lot of this is redundant, but it's important just to get a good understanding of this because I was looking forward a little bit, and it's it's going to end pretty quickly. It's only, I think, what, 13 chapters. And so we're, we're kind of almost to that halfway point. So I want to slow down and talk about that. But So the flow of this, again, was Christ being a better high priest, and then the author next week will be talking about Melchizedek and why that's a, a great, and the, and the Hebrews would have understood this, knowing that a high priest is a high priest, but a high priest and a king combined is even better, and that's the order they're referring to of Melchizedek. And so, um, 
I know I don't want to, I, I wanted to dip into seven, but I kind of don't, but I do have some thoughts and in a conclusive sort of way here, just so that I can kind of wrap my thoughts up. So um, we do see in this text that there's a threefold assurance. Uh, the first being that his promises are always true. God's promises are always true because of his immutable, immutable character. His, he's, he is other. He is, there's nothing like him. There was no one that can make um, a promise like God because he's unchanging. And his promises are always, that he always holds fast to those. So number one, again, his promises are always true because of his immutable character, his unchanging character. The second thing we saw is that his oath, the oath of that promise that he made was a loving gesture. And a lot of these passages, we're going to just get an understanding and glimpse into the character of God. And that understanding the character of God informs us and helps us understand and have more of an assurance in his nature and who he is. So the second part, yes, he's immutable. His promises stand. But his also the oath of that promise shows that he knows our weaknesses, that we knows we're prone to wander. You know, Lord, I feel it. And so he that oath was a reassurance. It was a doubling down, knowing, knowing humanity. He created us after all. And so, and then thirdly, we see the, 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 the third assurance there that Christ has gone before us. He's our forerunner. He is our intercessor. So those three things are just three things that the author to both the Hebrews and to us as we read this, he's just sort of saying, God's promises stand. Stay firm, stay strong. And if that doesn't get you, God's oaths are even a more loving gesture to reaffirm and reassure us that his promises stand, knowing our, knowing our weakness. And then if that wasn't enough, Christ has come. He is our great high priest, he has passed through the heavens. He is no longer bound by death. He is seated at the right hand of God. And he is our great high priest and intercessor. And knowing that language is just three things in this passage that really nail it down for us. So, which leads me to some questions. These are rhetorical. You don't have to raise your hand. But um, is he your steadfast anchor? Is he what, is he what you hold on to? Because one of the things in that story is, is during the nighttime when the storms were raging, it wasn't just that they were, the winds were blowing and the seas were rocking, but he couldn't see anything at all because it was pitch black. So when you can't see anything that you can grab onto, when everything goes black and the storms are raging or uh, uh, people are barraging you with, with, with input uh, that is contradictory to what you believe. What is your rock? If you stripped it all away, everyone that you know, everything that you know, all of your belongings, every possession you have, what do you have left? And if it's not God and, and it's not Christ, then we need to reassess that. And there have been many times in my life where some of the hardest times in life, I found myself really holding on to that anchor, making sure that, because that, that, that's the only thing that was consistently solid. It's the only unchanging thing that we can grab onto. Everything else in this world changes. And so knowing that you have that anchor really is a huge blessing as a believer because it's something that we can just 
not worry about all the other things and just hold on to that. It's a dark time. So is he your anchor? Secondly, have you have there been times in your life personally that you've tried to manage your storm or trial on your own? Yeah, the collective, you know, yeah, of course we have. And we know how that works. Um, again, kind of referring back to the story, he had all the books on sailing and navigation. He was a good sailor and he had all the electronics and he, he had all of his friends that he could contact on the radio till it went out. But none of those things, none of those things, he couldn't do it on his own. He had to put out that anchor because without that anchor, he would have been lost. Nothing could, no, he couldn't have sailed through the storm. He couldn't have radioed up someone on the storm. There's some no good, but that anchor kept him in place because it was other than him. Another thing to consider is with the increase of moral relativism and the blurred lines of progressive Christianity, is God and His Word your mooring point? In other words, there's a lot of things that happen in, in the name of Christianity. And there's a lot of books that come out. And there's a lot of people that shift a little bit and say, well, that's not really what Paul meant. Here's what he really meant. Well, that word means something else. Or, well, you know, you can, you can believe in a couple things. Most roads can go to heaven. Wouldn't you agree? If you're not moored to, your tr to truth, truth and doctrine that comes from the Word of God, you're going you're gonna to drift. You're gonna, you're gonna, that anchor is going to, whatever you have, you're moored to is going to pull. And you're going to be... What does it say? Tossed to and fro by the winds of doctrine? Someone remind me of that passage, but that's, that's, that's what that's referring to. And, and so much of that is, there must have been a real strong boating community with the Sea of Galilee and Red Sea and all the, the Mediterranean. A lot of these references were sailing in nautical terms. And so, but when it comes to not just the trials of your life, but when, when you get barraged with things, when someone says, what do you think about that Jesus gets us campaign? Do you, what are you more to? What do you really know? What you believe on that is—is is Jesus just our friend that accepts us no matter what, or is there something deeper? Do you know the Scripture well enough to know that yes, that's part of it, but it's not all of it. When it, when someone comes to you with a a book that's new and the best thing, can you can you objectively look at that book? Well, not objectively, but based on Scripture, and say, I don't know if I'd recommend that book. Because here's what it says, and that really goes against what Scripture says. So you have to have an, a mooring that's, well, it's right here. Here's our mooring. I mean, obviously, God is our mooring. But when it comes to truth, we must really rely on His spoken word to us in this, in this book. So it's just something to consider. More of a personal thing. How do you reinforce your assurance in God's promises? There's many ways you can do it. Being here is one of them in a collective Bible study. Being in a small group where you can bounce ideas off one another. Uh, being in, in partnership and connection with other believers who can challenge you and exhort you on certain things. Simply a daily devotional, a as simple as that sounds, resetting and retraining your mind on the things that matter, on the anchor point. And, and, and just every day as a daily thing. Your own Bible study. Pick a book, grab a study Bible, and, and go for it. And just those types of things really can bolster our assurance in God's promises, in what Christ has done, uh, because we all tend to drift. <laughs> this book probably wouldn't be written if we, if we didn't. 
So just our, we're not Hebrews, but we're, our general nature as believers, we're, we're still human, and we still have the tendency to, to drift and prone to wander. What was, what's that from? Bob, you know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Uh, there's a song in there. I, I don't remember the song. Prone to wander. Yeah, everybody's going, hmm. Prone to lead the Lord I love. It's an it's a incredible song. Um, was it over a thousand times? Anyway, sidetracking. But, but there's a lot of beautiful nuggets of Scripture in some of those hymns and those songs. Uh, but my point simply being, the things that we can do to, if, if you're feeling like you're drifting a bit or just kind of slipping off your mooring, ground yourself in the Word, ground yourself in good teaching, ground yourself in a, in a study where you're interacting with others. And uh, those are really critical and important things because we all can tend to, to drift and moor. So again, it's a great, I love the author here. I don't know who wrote it still. I, I still wonder, uh, could be Paul, but the way the writer writes, he's so smart at, well, we know the Holy Spirit wrote it. Let's, start, let's just kind of start there. That's a guarantee. But, but the flow of writing is really neat. And, and, and his understanding of passages from the Old Testament really bring things forward so that we today, as we study this New Testament book, can gain an understanding of Old Testament things as well and some of the things that they were working through. So um, I hope that this week, um, that if you are this month or this year or then over the next five years, if you feel yourself questioning things or are having trouble with assurance, that we can refer back to God's promises are true. And I, I had a whole sheet of God's promises. I probably should have brought them. But there's, it's all, God's promises are all throughout scriptures. And sometimes, maybe just find a little book on God's promises that have scripture references. Go back to study those and read through his promises. That in and of itself really bolsters our assurance of salvation and our assurance of what we know and believe. Amen? Good stuff. Yeah. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for um, uh, how this your word has that was written, Father, uh, with under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit can be so applicable today to us, Lord, as we encounter trials, as we even go through good seasons of our life, Lord, how we must always um, understand that we need to be moored and anchored to you, Father, uh, as you are the only unchanging thing that is in this entire universe. And Lord, that's, uh, that's an amazing thing to know that your son, who came to earth and lived a perfect life, Lord, and died and rose on the third day and ascended into heaven to be with you, Father, is there now, Lord. It's just overwhelming. Thank you that we have a great high priest, Lord, someone that, that uh, is for us that loves us, Lord. Thank you for your holiness and goodness, Father. Be with us as we go tonight. Bring us back together next week, Father, or this Sunday, Lord, uh, we pray. In your name we pray. Amen.